Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. The Travel Addict is here. Yes, back again. I've been on the road quite a bit. I know I managed to escape to Europe for a few weeks, but I'm back home now. And I'm back doing the podcast thing, which is good. And uh, today, I have a lady named Amy Yip. And as you know by now, I only like to have people on the podcast with a great story to tell. And that's very important to me. And Amy does have quite the story to tell. I'm happy to have her with me today. So on the Travel Addict Show, I'm Malcolm Teasdale, of course. So um, Amy has quite a story to tell. She was living in New York. Uh, with her husband and decided to just one day make a decision, I'm assuming with a husband, and said, pack up and go to the country of Ghana for some volunteer work. And uh, it's very commendable, by the way. So we're going to get into that in, uh, right now. And I think Amy is here. Hello, Amy. You there? I'm here. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, connecting. With me today, I know uh, I've been out of pocket for a few weeks, but uh, we finally got together, which is a good thing. Okay, Amy, you've got a story to tell, and I have some questions for you. And mm-hmm. it was back in 2020, uh, you made a major decision. You were living in an apartment in New York, okay, and yeah. working there, and uh, probably just comfortable. And you made the decision to pack up and leave. Something got into your head, so let's go and do, and you obviously talked to your husband about this. You didn't just say, hey, husband, I'm going to Ghana. No, but you you had a conversation about this, and you said, yeah, let's let's do this volunteer work in the country of Ghana. Now, mm-hmm. how did you come across making that decision? Was it difficult or was it an easy choice based on what you had in New York? It's a, because it's a huge decision, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so – The story actually starts much earlier because as with most people, I put that decision off, right? Like we always say, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'll do it one day. Yeah. And so it's been this thing that I've always wanted to do for the longest time, traveling the world and volunteering. And what really triggered that desire to leave corporate America, go see the world was actually prior to my days, even in New York, even while working at Google, it was while I was at Clorox. I was brand manager on Hidden Valley Ranch dressing. We were launching a Greek yogurt dressing. And I clearly remember sitting in the room with a team lawyer asking, what's the minimum amount of Greek yogurt we have to legally put into the dressing to call it Greek yogurt dressing? And I sat there and I was like, wait, is this really what my life has come down to? Like, 
figuring out how much Greek yogurt to put into dressing and tricking the consumer and doing all this cost savings. And so it was at that moment, I decided to quit my job at Clorox. I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do in life because I had no clue. Um, and I wanted to do this sort of eat, pray, love thing, like the movie. And so I found a nonprofit in Tanzania teaching women business skills. And I started selling my things. And I always believe things happen for a reason. So the day I found my flights, um, I was about to buy them. And I got a message on LinkedIn from a Google recruiter for this dream role. And it was global marketing role. And I would be leading a global team. I would get to travel. And my job was to use marketing to help people lead happier, healthier lives through food. And I was like, wait, what is this? <laughs> 16 days later, I had the offer. Two weeks after I was starting, my going away party ended up just being like, a, oh, let's hang out party. I had to unsell my things, ask my landlord if I could keep my apartment. And the thing is, I always said five years is the maximum amount of time I will stay at Google. Then I have to do this trip. I have to volunteer yeah. because it's been this dream of mine. I just didn't realize that in your mid-30s as a woman, how much changes. So my husband actually came along during that time. I was single during this time. And and yes, I did ask him, but it was even uh, when we first started dating, I told him I had this idea. And I was like, so what do you think about this? <laughs> so it was kind of like this, make sure that he's okay with it before I start dating him type of thing. <laughs> Um, but I got a husband during that time and, you know, husbands change plans and he was pursuing his own venture when, uh, we started dating and I became the sole breadwinner and I felt a lot of pressure to be the responsible one, to hold down the fort, to live my dreams later. Uh, you know, my career was going well at Google and everyone said, why would you leave? There's so many people trying to get into Google and you're leaving. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Like this is a pivotal point in your career. If you leave, you won't be able to move up this corporate ladder. And then one of the biggest shoulds I heard during that time was you're at the prime baby making age. You should just have children because your eggs are rotting and you're going to regret it if you don't. Oh my word. Yes, they, people use those words. And uh, it, it was really challenging because there's, you know, what everybody else is telling you. And then there's this inner desire. And so my husband and I, we were not ready for kids at the time, but we decided, well, we should probably freeze our embryos as a backup plan, Yeah, which we did. And then a year later, there was a mishap at the facility. And let's just say, even to this day, we don't know if the embryos are viable. They basically told us, until you plan on using them, we can't tell you if they're still good or not. And so that was kind of the the second pivotal moment in my life where I, I said, okay, I really need to figure out what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And so I went on this long self-help journey. I read every book out there for eight months. And I chose to read first because... There was a part of me that felt a little bit of shame, right? Like, how could I not be happy when things are going so well in my life? When on the outside, I have this great job, a great husband, great family, great friends. Like, what could I possibly want? And it's selfish of mm -hmm. me yeah. to want something else. So I read. Reading didn't help. So after that, a friend told me about ayahuasca. Have you heard about ayahuasca? No. No, I haven't. So ayahuasca is a medicinal plant that Peruvians use 
and there's like a shaman. Uh, they, they have this whole ceremony. And my friend told me, yeah, there's this thing called ayahuasca. It's supposed to give you clarity. And I was like, clarity, that's what I need. I need clarity. So I flew all the way down to Peru and went to a five day ayahuasca ceremony to gain this clarity. And I got a lot of clarity on things, but not to the question that I had, which is, do I have babies or do I travel the world and live my dreams? And they, but, but, but they do say, uh, mother ayahuasca gives you what you need, not what you want. So I got clarity on things that I probably needed in my life, but not the question that I was looking for. And it was not until a colleague told me about coaching and I had no idea what coaching was at the time. I, I was desperate. I was like, fine, whatever. I'll try this. And I'm so glad I did because my coach is the one who helped me peel back the layers of my onion, all those things that I call the shoulds, like everyone telling you who you should and shouldn't be, what should and shouldn't matter. So she helped me to peel back those layers. And I got to the core of what really mattered to me. And I made two decisions at that point. One is I'm going to leave Google to pursue my dreams. Yep. Because I'm going to regret it if I don't. I might. Oh well, there you go. That's that. That's okay. though. you don't. When you get old, and uh, correct, but when you just get old, you don't have any regrets in your life, of course. And that's that's yes, very important, of course. So yeah. What happened then? You made the decision ultimately to go. You said you mentioned Tanzania as well in this mix, but you went to Ghana, right? Yes. So the, Tanzania was back. Five years before I started Google, it was, you know, when I first was planning on doing this trip. And during my time at Google, I ended up going to Tanzania. I did some volunteer work there and I climbed Kilimanjaro. So, um, you know, this time around, my husband and I, we still wanted to go to Africa and we were looking for a place to volunteer. And so we ended up landing in Ghana. Yeah. Accra, Ghana, you went to? You were in Kumasi. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted, um, you know, with, with go back to Tanzania a second. Did you go? To, were you in Dar es Salaam or were you in Zanzibar or whereabouts were you? Everywhere. Oh, did you just went everywhere? Uh, yeah, I spent about a month and a half there. Okay, got it. When you got to Ghana, you sort of in one location, but you were doing volunteer work for what I'm thinking is cancer patients, right? Is that Breast cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, you probably saw some sad situations there. And how long were you doing that for? The original plan was to do it for about three to four months. And then that little thing called COVID came along because I left right in January of 2020. And uh, the borders in Ghana closed. So we ended up stuck in Ghana until September. So we ended up being there for a little over seven months. Okay. And we we did volunteer work the whole time we were there. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? And I, I read your comment when uh, when you wrote to me and when you expressed that you were stuck in mm-hmm. Ghana, they said, oh, that was suck, or that's awful. Well, those comments are made by people who don't really understand the country, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. you were there, and mm-hmm. it sounds like you, you quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved Ghana for a variety of reasons. One is Ghanaians are so friendly and kind. Yeah. They are probably the kindest people in the world. They laugh, they sing, they dance together, they hug, they appreciate life, the simple joys, and... yes, to your point, a lot of people were like, oh, that must have sucked being stuck there. But to be honest, it was a gift in so many ways. I left with so many aunties and uncles and, you know, like people that were just so kind. It gave me a different perspective of the world. Um, 
And it was just people appreciated the little things and they appreciated people. And there was just a sense of community. It was so different than anything I've I've experienced. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good to see. I just want to tell you this little story because it came to, to my mind here. I was in Sydney one back going back a few years ago, and the Australian football team or soccer soccer team mm-hmm. had a game with the country of Ghana. It was in Sydney, right? Mm-hmm. And apart from Ghana wears flashy colours when they play soccer, but the cool thing about it is they had a lot of fans come with them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they brought a huge contingent. And they were down in the streets of Sydney singing, dancing, playing drums. They were so such a wonderful, happy group of people just to be there and uh, supporting their team. I thought, how cool is this? Yeah. That is exactly like them. And you just see everybody smiling, happy. Uh, you, you know, when when we were there, people back home would, would ask me, um, you know, do they look at you and think, oh my gosh, Americans and, you know, are they racist towards you? Are you, are they, there were just so many questions from Americans and I'm like, no, they're so kind, so nice. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, that's all part of it. I mean, it's this, uh, you, when you travel, but you've traveled a bit, it's an educational experience above all. You learn yeah. how uh, other countries in the world live. It's, it's, it's surprising. Uh, it would surprise a lot of people especially back here in America, who don't know because they haven't done it. So you had a, you had a good time there, but you were doing this volunteer work for breast cancer nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure to what degree, but what experience did you have to qualify for taking care of cancer patients? I'm just curious. So the original plan for I, – I'm a, I'm a coach, and the original plan for when my husband and I were heading out there was we would do – Two things. One is go out to the communities to help educate the, um, the, the chiefs because a lot of the smaller communities and villages, they're still run by chiefs and they are very religious. And so oftentimes what happens is women would get breast cancer or, you know, anybody would get cancer, but women would get breast cancer. And the pastors and the reverends would put them into these prayer camps and pray for them. Yeah. And they would tell them not to go to hospitals. And it's not until their breast becomes like 20 or 30 kilo that yeah. they decide, oh, maybe I should go see a doctor. And by then yeah. it's either too late or, you know, it's much more challenging to save them. And the other thing is there's just all this misinformation that if, uh, if a woman gets breast cancer, it's a death sentence. And so husbands will leave them and, um, you know, your family would leave you. And so part, part of what we were doing one was to support the organization and going to the communities, having these conversations with the chiefs, because you always start with the chief. And once you get the chief's approval, then you can come in, you could do educational work. You can, uh, give the women breast exams and things just to do checks and teach them how to self-check. Yeah. So that was one aspect. The other aspect of what we were doing was to build uh, a community for the women who are either newly diagnosed or the survivors. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, their husbands would leave them, their families would be, leave them. They didn't have a support system. So it was almost like a, a, an internal support system. And that's what we were, yeah. we were there to do. But because of COVID and 
we like, you know, all the restrictions. We couldn't go into the communities. We couldn't meet with the women and they don't have access to stuff like we do. Like they can't just hop on a Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that had to be put on hold. And we ended up uh, setting up the, the organization as a nonprofit in the U.S. because they're based in Ghana. So they have their okay. nonprofit yeah. over there. Yeah. So we set them up in the U.S. We started building fundraisers for them to raise the funds and tell the stories of these these women and the survivors. And then uh, near the end, when things started opening up, then we actually started getting to go back into the communities sure. and work with the survivors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, good. Yeah, there's going to be challenges along the way because it's a different culture than what we're used to back in the States. As you can tell from my accent, I'm originally from Britain or England, mm-hmm. and but I've been living in the States a long time. Um, so because I've lived approximately half my life in the States and half in the, in the United Kingdom, well, I'm bilingual, but I'm just I, I'm used to both cultures now. But it's interesting when you go overseas, especially to a place like you, where you went to, it's culturally different. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be like us in some parts. They're happy yeah. the way they are. There's some countries mm-hmm. in the world who are very, very happy, but yeah, they're not really interested in moving forward or with technology. Some country of Bhutan is an example there, and they're just happy the way they are. Mm-hmm. No crime, and it's just happy ticking along. So, with Ghana itself, what's the living conditions like? I know China has done a lot for the continent of Africa, like bringing mm-hmm. cities up to date. Uh, but what's what's the capital city like there in Ghana as far as infrastructure buildings? Is it modernized? In Accra, it is very modernized. You have, you know, gated communities. You have all kinds of cuisine. You have cars. You have, you know, it, it's very modern. And I would say, out of all of Ghana, it's. Accra is the only place that is modern. So where I was working in Kumasi, it was not even like that. Like there were no. dirt roads and there were, so, um, you know, in Accra, you could get any kind of cuisine. People are educated. They're yep. much more wealthy. At the same time, there are still the ghettos. Right. Are they in these remote areas? Are they like that because they can't help but be like that or they're happy with the way they are? I'm saying this because, you know, some countries in the world, the, you know, Mongolia was a fine example for me. Ulaanbaatar is sort of a major, huge city, but quite mm-hmm. sizable. There's nomads out in the, uh, the boonies in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Would they go into the city? Absolutely not, mm-hmm. because their ancestors have done it, and that's the, that happy living that way. I wonder if that's the same thing in uh, Ghana. Are they, yeah, there's, there's what we call ghettos or, you know, it, it, the living conditions may be poorer, uh, but most of the people you met outside of the main city, are they they're pretty happy and contented or they just wish everything would change? So <laughs> it depends on which part of oh, the country. Okay. So there, there are definitely parts where it is all they know. They don't even have access to things like internet. Like you don't, you just don't have access oh, yeah. to internet cool. and TV and all that. So, you know, they are very happy with the way life is. They don't know any. Well, they don't know. They that. don't need to. Enter, yeah. They don't have to watch the news on TV and get depressed. I get it. Anyway, yeah. I, 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 and, I, get, I understand what you're saying here. And, now, are you classed as a digital nomad or effectively you could work from anywhere based on yes. what you do? Yeah. So, and that is what I did. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's it. Well, the technology's changed. Obviously, when I was growing up, well, no one even understood that, you know. Mm-hmm. What? How, how are you going to work in the middle of nowhere? Not physically possible, but times have changed. So it, it's great that people do that today. 
and uh, you've done it. Actually, more and more people are doing it, aren't they? Just yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially with COVID and all the offices closing yeah. and people not having to go into offices, so everyone's traveling. Because after borders opened, reopened uh, in Ghana, my husband and I decided, well, we don't. All we have is a backpack. We could do our coaching from anywhere in the world. So exactly, well, why not? And so we started uh, moving around every few months to different countries, and mostly it was in the Balkans because most of the world was still closed off to Americans. So yeah. we lived in Serbia and Albania and Montenegro and Croatia, and there is a huge group of digital nomads in all of those places. What years were you there? That area went through some troubled times in recent history. You weren't mm-hmm. there during that time, right? No, I I was there right after Ghana's borders reopened. Okay, uh, got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you in Belgrade in Serbia? or? I was. I was. Uh, we were in Serbia for three months. So we started in Belgrade and then we moved around. What about going to, to Belgrade? And I went to uh, Ljubljana in Slovenia instead. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the places I'd like to go to. As far as family, you have a young child already? No, I don't. You know? so. <laughs> oh, okay. I just wondered. Now, when you eventually have a family, being a digital nomad, do you think you'd be back on the road or are you just going to stay put for a while and uh, with the support structure you have there? So we, my baby is due uh, February 1st. And that's that's actually why we returned to the US for the support okay. system. But our next aspiration <laughs> is uh, to get a sprinter van and to drive around with a sprinter van <laughs> and our what child. What is one of those things? What is it? So... It's like this, um, I think it's like a big, have you seen those big Mercedes vans? And so what you can do is you can take the entire back area out and you can build in a bed and have tables and showers and everything in it. And you literally live out of the van, but it's, it, it, it's more flexible than an RV because you could park pretty much anywhere. RVs, you need specific hookups. What, in their what about space, though? It, it seems to me you probably sleep standing up, but I, I know you don't do that. But it, 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 you can actually, uh, is it? It's obviously practical, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like uh, I, I think Japan has, you know, those really small spaces where you can fold up the bed and unfold certain things out of the walls, yeah. and so it's kind of like that, where you can fold the bed down and put it back up, and you know, set up a table and take the tables down. So everything is compact. Yeah. Uh, but it works, you know, and, and like the showers, I don't, it, it's not actually in the van itself, but it's something that you can like take outside and you can shower or you can build it in. I mean, it, the, the beauty is you can build you it to accommodate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that's interesting that it's uh, it's a brave thing to do almost. A lot of people wouldn't even think about doing that, of course, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, you're still young and uh, with, which so you've got plenty of time to, uh, you know, settle down later on in life, but you could settle down <laughs> in another country, of course. It's, you know, it, it depends. Okay, so uh, you're staying put for a while. Now, I'm going to ask you this because I've just booked a trip for next year to go to Namibia. Did you ever go there? I know it's south of where you were in Ghana, but uh, we're going to go to Namibia for a week or two and just go to the, the world's oldest desert and just uh, stay there. It's supposed to be unbelievable scenery. Do you have any idea or spoke to anyone who's been there? I have spoken to people and it is amazing. You will want longer than a week. We did not actually make it down there because our original plan was we would volunteer until May and then spend the next six or seven months all over Africa. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't get that far. 
people who got through Ghana. <laughs> but Namibia is amazing and definitely like you could rent a car, you could drive around and spend weeks there. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Uh, you land at Windhoek and there's about four and a half hours to where we you know, uh, go is Susanblade, but in, in the sand dune area. So looking forward to doing that. And basically, I just cashed in some frequent flyer points to get down there, do it now, you know, to, to get a good mm-hmm. deal. But then it's planning after that. I uh, was trying to go up to Zanzibar. That's problematic with a flight. I'm still working on that. But mm-hmm. looking forward to that one. Uh, it's one of these things that I have to do before I get too much older. You know, the bucket list thing, overused terms, but my mine gets longer. It should be getting shorter. As mm-hmm. But I think you might be in the thing when you, you obviously you have know, a family, but later on years you, you're going to be get back on the road and travel more. I just think the more you travel, the more you want to do it. Definitely. I mean, my first trip was not what, 2008 was the first time I, I left. And yeah. at that time, my list was like the basics, uh, UK, Spain, Italy, yeah. <laughs> France. And then I just became so addicted. And the more I travel, the more I want to see. And when our child arrives into the world, we want our kid to explore and see the world and exactly. not just see this one place. And so that's why, you know, from a young age, we want to be able to take our kid to see the world and to see what it is like out there. One of, you know, one of the things um, before I left for Ghana, one of my coworkers at Google, um, she had said to me, you know, that's really brave of you to be going to Africa. I would have chosen a prettier country, but props to you. my jaw dropped this is an educated woman you know like and I was like well first of all Ghana or Africa is a continent there are many countries in Africa (laughs) and have you ever been to Africa like Africa is beautiful there's so much beauty in the country and so it just that actually inspired me that's why uh, my husband and I started an Instagram and a Facebook uh, social media to really inspire people to see that there's beauty in people and places all over the world like you know there's such misconception that it's only in these modern modern western places that there's beauty it's everywhere yeah, exactly. It, it's a, there's a there's a lot to see and appreciate in the world. I know someone said to me once, "Why do you always go to these third world countries?" Well, it's an insulting term to be honest with you. Third world came from countries or created long ago when it was a country not part of NATO or part of the Warsaw Pact. So we mm-hmm. looked now that's over there. Yeah, you know it doesn't matter, but it does matter a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. I said it's more education also. So keep doing it, Amy. I mean, uh, you, you've got the travel bug there right and hopefully your husband has it and he'll he'll want to do more so yeah there's a lot in the world to see out there yeah it's uh it's wild okay last two years have been pretty bad but hopefully things are getting better and Mm -hmm. uh my wife will be on the road a bit more next year so it's all good now as far as yourself i I saw your little youtube nine things to know (laughs) well i started to watch it i didn't have time nine things to know about amy right Uh and so if someone's on youtube they can listen to these nine things about Amy. You can tell me now, or you can just—I can just say, people go go check her out on YouTube. She tells about it. So, is there anything really about Amy you think people would like to know right now? 
one thing is, uh, and I'm not, I don't recall if I put this in the nine things, but it kind of sums it up. If you watch the whole thing, I am a kid at heart. And I think all of us need to be more like kids at heart. We take life a little too seriously. You know, as kids, we used to laugh and play and giggle 300 times a day. And when we became adults, it's 300 times. I think it's like every two months and we just don't laugh enough. We don't play enough. And there's something to be said about the childhood innocence and the play and enjoying life because we are constantly working and rushing. And, And actually while I was traveling, this person in Albania said something to me that really stuck with me. And he said, why is it that in America, everyone is constantly in a rush, trying to finish things, trying to achieve things and always in a rush. And at the end of the day, the only thing is death. So you're literally just rushing to death. Why not enjoy what's in between? Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No one gets out of this place alive. I just mm-hmm. wanted, growing up uh, in England, we used to, me and my buddies, go over the park and get the soccer ball around and ride a bike. Now, you know what I'm putting up in the air here? It's an iPhone. You think is that's a corporate affecting our way of life or many people's lives today? One's glued to the old iPhone. I don't know. It could be a factor. But I think as long as you've got something to do, something to look forward to, I think that's the main thing as well. You've got plenty to look forward to. And when you get back on the road, you'll always have these things to look forward to. Now, there's much to find about you. i got your website. And it's, yeah, there's things on there. I've got coaching, speaking. Uh, when you do your public speaking, where do you do this public speaking engagements? So I speak at a bunch of conferences. I just spoke at a conference um, for parents recently, a Saramount Work Beyond conference. I speak at conferences. I speak at organizations and companies. I run workshops and webinars. So pretty much everything. Okay. Uh, How did they get find you? You you must have got into this speaking gig somewhere along the line. Was it just because you, you volunteered to speak somewhere and you got into it and then you get more more work that way or is that what it is honestly um it, it was it was one of the gifts and opportunities from being stuck in ghana i rediscovered my love for both writing and for speaking and unintentionally you know i just started um bringing people together i realized that People were feeling lonely. So I started creating groups and communities and I started writing and sharing. And someone asked me, Hey, I love what you've been sharing and writing. Would you want to speak at my organization? And I said, sure. And it kind of just spiraled from there. Okay. It's got to start somewhere. You know, Mm -hmm. when uh, um, I retired early because I saw my company, but I got into speaking, but on for different cruise lines, not that I'm a big fan of cruises, but. I don't mind going on the ships and speaking to people mm-hmm. if we can, if I can help. Or what you do is helping people, so it's it's all it's a good thing. It's definitely good. Yeah. Thing. Now you're also on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll send you an invite as well on LinkedIn, and you're on or Spotify. So um, yeah, so people can find more about, more about you. It's out there in the world. So, but yeah. the website is probably the main thing. Start there, amyyipcoaching.com. All right. Is there anything? you'd like to say to the listeners as well uh, out there about yourself or anything 
strange, exciting you're going to do or uh, anything else where the people get hold of you. Yeah, I've got, I've got to speak to this lady, you know. <laughs> well, I'm having a baby. <laughs> and and the, the one thing I would love to leave everyone with is that, you know, one of my greatest learnings throughout my entire journey that has helped me get through all of it is that your mindset, not your circumstance, makes all the difference in your happiness and success. You know, that that's why when I was stuck in Ghana, some people saw it as, oh, that must suck. But at the same time, I was able to see, but there are so many gifts of me being here and, yeah. you know, how wonderful it is. And so it really is about your mindset. And so just being able to shift that and, and see that can make all the difference. Uh, exactly. And uh, you've always got to have something to do. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, uh, have you written books, by the way? or have you I'm in book? the process of writing one. Uh, a book. Uh, it's a challenge, but think about doing an audible book as well. Mm-hmm. Right. When you first get into it, you'll probably regret it, but it is doable. It's, it's hard work. You're just, I'm not going to tell you how much hard work it is. But <laughs> once you get it down in words, you'll be all right. Well, best of, best of luck with, with the book, and no doubt you'll be publishing it Thank on, you. Uh, on the uh, likes of Amazon there. Amy, I got it. I got it. It's been about forty-five minutes, but uh, you know, appreciate you joining me today. You have a great story to tell, Thank and you. what you were doing in uh, Ghana there is very commendable. And, Thank you. Um, coaching people or helping them out, and I like stories like that. So, good luck for the future, and keep in touch, and uh, we'll go from there. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, See ya. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.